So this morning, let's pray as we come to the word. Father, I pray that you would come and you would take your word and write it again in a fresh way on my heart and in my mind. You promised that, Lord, you promised that you would do this. This is your new covenant to us in Hebrews chapter 8. How you promised, Lord, that you would not only take your word and you would teach us it, but you would write it in our hearts and in our minds. So, Father, I pray that today as we look into the scriptures, that you would take your finger through your Holy Spirit and write it on the tablet of my mind and on my heart. Write it on our life so that your word goes forth out of our life bearing fruit, the fruit of your purpose, of your heart, of your spirit in the life that you planted here in this body. I pray, Lord, you would do that with each one of us. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I have been very encouraged as I thought about the Lord Jesus and his ministry to us, and in particularly as we come together to celebrate the Lord's death and his resurrection through the breaking of bread, we call it a communion service. And this is the word that the Lord used to really stir up my heart and encourage me. It was the book of Hebrews. I don't know how many of you guys have read this book, this letter lately from the Lord written to you. But I strongly encourage if you haven't read this letter that the Lord Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has penned to you and to me, take a moment and read it. And if it doesn't light a fire in your heart, fall on your face and lay your body out like a sacrifice like Elijah did and call on his name and let the fire of the Spirit of the Lord set you on fire. That's what happened to me this past week. And especially as I just went through it again and again. Look at chapter 1 of Hebrews. We're just going to take... um, a short journey, it's going to be more like a sprint through the book of Hebrews. In chapter 1, verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, how did he speak to our fathers? How did he speak long ago to the fathers? Through the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. In these last days, has spoken to us. How does God now speak to you and me? He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He, the Son, Jesus, and He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. Jesus not only radiates God's glory, He is the exact representation of God's nature. Now, for many years in my life, I kind of seen Jesus as another part of God. God I've seen through the prophets on Mount Sinai coming down with smoke and fire and speaking in such a way that people ran for fear of that they were going to die. And Jesus came like a baby born in a stable. 
and was raised in a carpenter's shop. Have you seen, have you allowed your mind to separate the two? Today, the Holy Spirit wants to bring them back together, if you have allowed that. And show us that Jesus is the exact representation of God, His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. Nothing is held together in your life or mine except by His word. The moment His word ceases in my life, everything falls apart. It's like the earth spinning. How fast does the earth spin? Does someone, can someone tell me? A thousand miles an hour. Does it really? Wow. What holds it together? How in the world, why are we flying off the earth like out in space, just flying everywhere into chaos? It's the word of his power that is like it has spoken gravity. It's the word of his power that holds us sitting here in our chairs while the earth is spinning a thousand miles an hour. While your life may be spinning a thousand miles an hour, the word of his power will hold you together. The absence of his word, you spin out of control. It's true. When he had purification, when he had made purification of sins and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they the name jesus is so much better than any of the other angels names we don't even know their names that's how much better it is There are only two angels that are recorded, whose names are recorded is the angel Michael and the angel Gabriel. Gabriel seemed to be a messenger angel who came to Mary and announced that Jesus was going to be born, who came to Zacharias and announced that John the Baptist was going to be born. Gabriel seemed to be the messenger angel, and Michael, we read in Revelation, seems to be an archangel who is a warrior. Daniel seen him in his visions of the end times, Those are the only two angels that we can read about whose names. But Jesus, we read about constantly. That's how much better he is than all the angels. The other angels are not even named. For to which of the angels, verse 5, did he say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Today I would like to look at Jesus, our high priest. How is Jesus your high priest? Perhaps you're like, what's a high priest? Why do I need a high priest? Do you need a high priest? What would you say to that question? Do you need a high priest? Are you sure? Are you acting like you need a high priest? The writer of Hebrews was addressing this letter to Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, who were very familiar with the law of Moses. They had been brought up, like Paul told Timothy, from a child you have known the scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he says this, And that from a childhood 
you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads you to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. From a child, they were taught, from a little child, they were taught in the synagogues, Exodus chapter 40. Do you know that? What he teaches in Exodus 40? They did. That Israel needed a high priest. And that Aaron was appointed to be that high priest. They needed priests along with him. They were taught Leviticus chapter 8, Numbers chapter 18, Deuteronomy 18. They were taught the office and the work of the high priest and the priests in Israel. They understood these things. So now the Holy Spirit, through the Hebrew writer, which some think are Paul, or there's been a different discussion about that, is speaking the truth that Jesus is the only high priest left alive today whom every person on earth needs. You need a high priest. His name is Jesus. They understood the role of the high priest. I think perhaps in Christendom today, especially among us Gentiles, who haven't been brought up like the Hebrews, the Jewish Christians were at that day, we have much less of an understanding that we even need a high priest. Much less of what he really does. What his role really is in my life. Every day. And how that role sustains my life on the earth. It keeps me alive. Without the high priest's ministry to Israel, Israel would have died spiritually. Without Jesus and his high priest ministry to me and you, we die spiritually. That's how much we need him. Who wants to stay alive today? You need a high priest. His name is Jesus. And you need his ministry in your life. You know, it's interesting. We live in a world... In a Christianity where we have Bibles galore on our shelves, on our nightstands, and even in our phones. But how many of us really know the scriptures? Do you know the scriptures? Is it written on your heart and in your mind through the Holy Spirit that Jesus is revealed to you through the knowledge of the scriptures, like he told Timothy. You have been taught this from a childhood. I think that the Holy Spirit is speaking again today to you and I to draw us back into the knowledge of Jesus Christ a little more, to increase that knowledge so that I sense my need of Jesus more and appreciate him more. His ministry to my life, he becomes more precious. First Peter chapter 2 tells us, To those which believe, he is precious. You're going to see as we walk through here that we need his ministry. I think the devil continues to hammer us in today's everyday life and torment us through anxiety, fear, many foolish and hurtful lusts because we lack 
the word of Christ dwelling richly within me. It gives the devil that opportunity in my life. But when the word of Christ, I sense my need for his living word, not just written word, but his living spoken word, which is written to be transmitted into my spirit and into my thoughts every day through the Holy Spirit. I sense the need for that, so I do something about it. I ask Him for it. I depend on it for my life. And when I don't sense that need, and I just get up in the morning and go about my busy days and act like it's a spare tire, you know? I read a few verses maybe and put it in my back pocket, put it in my back mind. I need it today. Got that done. Now I can go on my day. Instead of sensing the need in my heart, the constant need for the Holy Spirit to speak His living word in my life, a word of guidance, word of truth, word of faith, all of the things that will equip me for that day to live a righteous life, a life like Jesus lived on the earth when He lived here. The lack of that need, of sensing that need, the independent spirit that I will develop, gives the devil an open door into my life. And I suffer through many hurtful and foolish lusts, through anxiety, fears, and it brings me back and enslaves me to them quite quickly. It is the word of Christ that makes the difference, that gives us the strength in our inner man to not only defeat Satan, but to be more than a conqueror, even in my own flesh, as we walk through this world. Chapter 1. You notice that now through His Son, the Holy Spirit is declaring this one thing about Christ. And the one thing that he's declaring is in verse 9. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. Thou art my son. That's the declaration. He is the anointed son. He's not just the son of God. He's anointed. Now, in the Bible, if you read through the scriptures, you'll realize that when someone, when God called someone to anoint a man, it was for his special ministry. Kings were anointed. David was anointed by Samuel to be king. He didn't just pour oil on his head and anoint him for to be David, the son of Jesse, for the rest of his life. He anointed him to be king of Israel. He had done the same with Saul. And you'll see that when the Lord anoints someone, it's for a particular special ministry. A purpose is behind it. The purpose of Jesus being anointed by his Father was to be our high priest. In chapter 2, we see that this anointing, I'm going to write this out if I can find a marker, because this really blessed me as I thought of it this way. Jesus, our high priest, 
He was anointed. Declared God's Son. Did you notice how Jesus responded to Peter in Matthew 16, I think it is, where Peter declares the confession about Jesus, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds with words he had never spoken to anyone else. He said, Peter, on that confession, I'll build my church. So it's not a light confession for you and I to declare in our hearts, Jesus, you're the Son of God, the Son of the living God, the Anointed One. That confession is powerful and life-changing. In chapter 2, we see that Jesus, the Son of God, becomes something What does he become in chapter 2? This marker isn't working very well. He becomes our brother. He takes on flesh and blood. Look at chapter, uh, verse 10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Verse 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same. And the result is what? What's the result of Jesus becoming a partaker of us? He, God, comes down and partakes of flesh and blood. And the result is? Look at verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things that, what? He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he's able to come to the aid. That's now why he's able to come to the aid. Thank you. Better marker. So, because he took on, he becomes our brother, takes on flesh and blood, he is able to come to our aid. He's able to come and actually help me because he took on flesh and blood. Chapter 3. You see Christ being made a partaker of us and now he's faithful. What is he faithful? He's faithful in verse 2 to him who appointed him in this ministry. He's faithful to God as a son over his house, whose house we are. Christ is faithful. And this is a very important one because the devil is out trying to convince Christians that Jesus is not able. If he is able, he's not faithful to you. He's not faithful to really come to your aid. Jesus 
declares that he is and that he does come to our aid, but he'll let you down. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, again, he says, for those who believe, they are not disappointed. Dear brother, sister, is there disappointment in your life with Jesus at all? That's how the devil comes in and sows seed of disappointment with us in our relationship to Jesus. And that leads us immediately. Disappointment, the next step is discouragement. You become discouraged with yourself, with your day, with the, the way that the Lord is ministering His grace to you. But if you are not disappointed, you'll never be discouraged. You, you might have feelings that will depress you, but your inner man will say no. And you'll, you'll, over, you'll rise up and be encouraged even when everything else is pressing in on you, trying to depress you. You'll have air on the inside. It's like a tire who has air on the inside and there's a big load put on it. It squats, but it doesn't burst. The air on the inside keeps the tire inflated. Jesus is able to come to our aid. And that truth right there, if you believe that, in every situation of your life, verse 18 will be your testimony. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of me. I'm tempted, and now he is faithful. What does his faithfulness do? He is faithful. Soul, because he is faithful in coming to my aid, and I believe that, produces faith in me. I'm encouraged. And that is why in verse 12, chapter 3, he warns us, take care, brethren, lest there should be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. And look what it does. When I have faith in my heart, I believe he's faithful. In verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ. My faith makes me now a partaker. He has come to partake and has become our brother here, a partaker of us. And now I become a partaker of him. His word coming into me. And... In chapter 4, there's, an, there's a goal to this partaking. Look where his, he wants to make us a partaker of what? What does he want to make us partake of? Look at chapter 4. There's a rest for the people of God. A rest that causes us to cease from our own works and put our faith in his finished work. To become a partaker of that, only Jesus can minister that to you and I. That's why I need a high priest. I can go about my life. We've been created in such a way that independently of this ministry of Jesus, I can become rich in this world. I can get married. I can have a really nice family. I can have a nice house. I can establish for myself a very nice earthly life. 
but I cannot become a partaker of Jesus Christ in this sense where he brings me into the rest of God by bringing his peace and his rest into my heart. That'll be gone. That'll be absence. But Jesus calls us to become partakers because he has become a partaker to us. And he leads us into this rest where, like he tells us in Romans, this word came to my mind in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And there he continues to tell us what saves us. It's the confession of our mouth. Confession of faith. Notice as we go into chapter 5 that Christ is Verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for our sins. And because he's become a partaker, look how he deals with us. In verse 2, he can deal gently with my ignorance, with the ignorance and the misguided. When I'm misguided and I'm ignorant, Christ, because he became a partaker of my flesh, of flesh and blood like me, can deal gently with that. That's a key distinct ministry of the Holy Spirit that the law could never give. Your ignorance and your misguidance is a big deal. It's such a big deal that it leads us away from God. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. It alienates and excludes us from the life of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, he tells us this, verse 17, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, and excluded from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them, and because of the hardness of their heart. Ignorance and misguidance or hardness of heart excludes me from the life of God. But Jesus comes into that area of my life. You're ignorant? He's gentle. You're, you're misguided? You experience His gentleness instead of His wrath. The difference of the ministry of Jesus is life-changing for you and I. In our ignorance and our misguidance. And when we, through faith, see Christ's ministry and receive his high priestly ministry into my life, that's the difference it'll make in our life. When the Holy Spirit shows you your ignorance, you won't be discouraged, despondent, depressed to the point where you commit suicide. Without Jesus, that's what they do. When someone is shown their ignorance, their misguidedness, they have no hope anymore. They lose hope for themselves in this life. And guess what they do? They commit suicide. I read a statistic the other week that we live in a world today where the suicide rate in the U.S. is skyrocketing. They gave a number, and I forget how many, are actually 
killing themselves every day in our communities. There are more people being killed by suicide than ever before. Why? Why are people so depressed and discouraged that they could actually take their own life? That's what they're doing. Because they lack this. The ministry of Jesus being their high priest. And they don't believe that he's gentle to their ignorance and their misguidance. And without believing that, you'll kill yourself. It's that serious. I told you, it will exclude you from the life of God. It really does. It brings you to a mindset like, Hebrew, like Ephesians 4 said, you, you become filled with that futility of thoughts in your mind. You'll be like Solomon. When I think of the word futility, I think of Solomon, how Solomon described it in Ecclesiastes. He said, life is nothing but spitting into the wind. Whatever I do, it just comes back and splats me in the face. Have you ever spit into the wind? You should try it on a windy day. Well, maybe you don't want to try it. The wind is blowing like crazy and you spit right into the wind. You'll come right back over your face. And Solomon said, I got myself wives. I got myself houses in abundance. I had everything my heart desired and life was nothing but spitting into the wind. So you know what he said? Because of this, I despaired of life itself. I don't even want to live anymore. And once your life and my life become nothing but spitting into the wind, it takes the desire to live away. It's like you just unplug the desire to live and it drains out of your life. And you actually believe it's better to die than to live. And that's how Satan is destroying many lives. Even in the so-called church of Jesus Christ. To those who profess to know Jesus. But somehow... The ministry, the high priestly ministry of Jesus, their faith isn't anchored there. Because you know what this ministry does? I'll show you. In chapter 6, it tells us this. In verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. In verse 18, in order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have strong encouragement who have fled for refuge in laying Hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have, it's an anchor of our soul. Both sure, steadfast. It means it doesn't move. Now when a ship is anchored, we were just out by the water and there were a lot of boats out there by the water. And it was interesting, for the first three days there's a storm come up the gulf and and you know what they did with a lot of the boats who were that were placed in the docks? Very interesting thing. They took them out of the docks and they put them out there in the bay. And they separated them from each other and they put down their anchors. I thought to myself, that's interesting. And then it came to me, I know why they do that. The boy said, Dad, why are all the boats all the way out there across the bay? 
And the wind was blowing and the waves were, you know, six, seven feet high. And it was because if the boat is in a little, um, you know, if, it, if it's up, I, don't, I forget what they call it, where the, the, the dock, thank you. If it's up by the docks, the boat's going to crash into that dock when the wind blows and the, and the waves come. So they take the boat out where it won't hit the dock and won't hit other boats, but they put an anchor down. So the boats are out there riding the waves, but they stay right there because it's anchored. It's not lost out somewhere in the Gulf or in the Atlantic Ocean. It saves the boat because it's anchored, not because it's docked securely and tied down and tight so it can't move with the waves. And this is the same that this hope does for us. It doesn't make us so that we don't move on the water. No, when the storm comes, the Lord Jesus and his ministry to you and I puts the anchor down. And yes, you move up and down on the wave, but you're anchored. It is both sure and steadfast, one which enters into the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's where I'm going to stop. That's another whole story. And I really encourage you sometime as you read through it, study the order of Melchizedek's priesthood and what it was about him that he told us Jesus is like that, has that same priesthood ministry. It's a very interesting study. But I simply wanted to take that to encourage you, my dear brothers and sisters. Jesus is an effective high priest. He's not just a high priest that has died for your sins on the cross and ascended up into heaven and now you and I are on our own, left to figure out life, to deal with life on our own. No. He has come to our aid and he's faithful in coming to our aid. And through our faith in his faithfulness, we become a partaker of his divine nature. And that gives us the hope of life. That nothing, as Paul said in Romans 8, can separate us from the love of Christ. doesn't matter if it's persecutions. If last week our government would come in here and would have arrested 150 of us and Katie and I both be in prison and 150 of you others that would be all of us, right? More than all of us would be in prison. Would this church be destroyed? What do you think? No, we wouldn't. This church would be alive and well scattered throughout the prisons of Larimer County or in the prison of Larimer County. And that's exactly what just happened in China. I don't know if you guys seen that post. A dear church in China that someone had just posted a blog on. And the pastor was preaching. And they locked him up. He and his wife both. And over 150 of the church members are now in prison. They're determined to put this church to death in China. Are they? putting that church to death? No, they're not. That little congregation might not have a lot of people left to meet anymore, but they haven't been destroyed. 
That church just ministered to us in America today. To you and I, if you've read that long. That church and their testimony, because of Satan's efforts to try to obliterate them and shut the church down, has spread all over the world. Do you see what the hope of Jesus Christ does for his people? Satan cannot put out and take away that hope. Jesus is our high priest. And if he's not yours, dear brother, sister, come to him today. If he's been one of those where his ministry has been somewhat disconnected from you and you've been living a more independent mindset from the effectiveness of his ministry to you, where you haven't really sensed your desperate need for his ministry in your life, one of the things throughout the book of Hebrews that he keeps speaking to us is his ministry is one of speaking into our lives. He speaks. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not be misguided. Don't be angered anymore. Don't shut him out. Hear his voice. He's faithful in speaking to you. God is, and he is not silent. He is, and he's not silent to you and I. So let's listen to his voice today and if you've been become dull of hearing as some of these Hebrew Christians have in chapter 5 he said you become dull of hearing take the wax out of your ear allow Jesus to do that to take the noise that is around you and just turn off that noise turn it down so that you and I can hear his voice and experience the faithfulness of his ministry in our life. No matter what happens to you and I in the coming days, weeks, months, and years, no matter what the world does or what happens to this church in the next year, Satan cannot discourage us. Take out this hope. He might be able to scatter us, to persecute us, but he cannot separate us from the love of Christ. And I'm really encouraged. Full assurance of hope is in my heart again, not just for me, but for us as we face 2019. Only one reason I'm encouraged, because Jesus is and he is not silent his priesthood remains unchanged towards you and i the same high priest that he was to these jewish christians he stands and he ready to minister to you and i he is to us that's why my heart is full of assurance full of hope again today for us as a church for me for my family, because we have a high priest. Thank you, Lord, for being that faithful high priest today. And as we celebrate your ministry to us 
I pray, encourage each one of us, wherever we are, whatever we're facing. Lord, I pray, come and draw us near so that you, Lord, can increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.